Morena e te Good to see you all. Great to be together again today and on this lovely Sunday in July. <laughs> Good to see some visiting faces. Yay, fantastic. Hey, we are in the start of our joy revolution. Woohoo, they say. Woohoo. <laughs> it's a revolution of joy. How exciting. Welcome to the joy revolution. And for the next nine weeks, that is where we are on our Sundays, okay? We're right in there in the joy revolution. And um, so we're going to be learning over these nine weeks, we are going to be learning from a dear little book, a powerful little book, a beautiful little book in the Bible, and it's called Philippians, okay? And um, we're going to be spending nine weeks in there learning about joy, because joy is a big lesson through that book, okay? Are you ready? Last week I told you, told you to wear your joy pants. I don't see any joy pants. I'm not even wearing my joy pants. <laughs> it was too cold. That's my problem. But anyway, we can start without our joy pants. So today we are in the first 11 verses of Philippians. If you've got your Bible, just kind of get it ready and that would be good. Let's just pray and then we're going to get stuck in. So Almighty Father, we pray that as we open your word this morning and we learn about joy, Father, would you speak to us? We invite your Holy Spirit to move among us today. Father, we just open up. Uh, we open up and we kind of like we open our mouths up so that you can pour in. And Lord, we do that right now with our lives. We just open up and we ask you, Lord, pour in to us and do what it is that you want to do in us as you start that very necessary revolution of joy in our lives. So Father, have your way, we pray, in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let me, let me just explain first off a little bit about this particular book, the content text of Philippians. This book, Philippians, is a letter. And it is a letter written by the famous missionary apostle Paul. And Paul wrote it to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Philippi. And I don't know whether you know where Philippi is, but if you don't, it's in Greece and it's in the, it was in the district called Macedonia. And um, if you... If you want to know a little bit more about it, let me just give you some interesting facts about Philippi. It is named after the father of Alexander the Great. It was later conquered by Rome and became a Roman colony. So the Romans conquered it and then gave it back to its own people to rule it under the rule of Caesar. And they filled, Rome filled Philippi with retired Roman soldiers so that they were better able to ensure loyalty to Caesar and to Rome by having lots of their own in there. And Philippi was actually the very first European city to receive the gospel, the very first European city to be evangelized. So it's a pretty special little place, and this is a special little book. So why was Paul writing to the Philippian Christians? Well, to get a better idea of why, my encouragement to you would be between now and next Sunday, go away and go to the book of Acts and read chapter 16, and you'll get the full story of Paul and all that happened with Paul in this place called Philippi. But let me just give you the brief, um, the brief version of the story. 
Paul had taken the gospel to Philippi about 10 years before he wrote this letter. And some people there, when he brought the gospel, the good news of Jesus to them, some people there, they believed the gospel and they received Jesus as their king, as their God, as their, as their Lord, as their saviour. And they became followers of Jesus. And so the church was born. The church of Philippi was born. So Paul was like the, if you like, the spiritual father to these people that he's now writing to. So that was 10 years ago when it all began. And there's some really cool stories. Go read Acts chapter 16. And now 10 years forward, and things are really tough for Paul. And he, he's, he, he's no longer able just to go about, you know, traveling all through the, the then known world, sharing the gospel everywhere that he went and doing miracles and, and, and just having this powerful, incredible, apostolic, missionary um, life that he was having 10 years earlier. Now things are really, really different. Now Paul is stuck in prison. And Paul gets used to prison because he's imprisoned a number of times in his life because it's pretty dangerous to be a Jesus follower um, in that time and in that place. And so he gets used to it. But in this particular time that he's in prison, he's in Rome and he's under house arrest. Okay, so he's actually imprisoned at home. Have a look at this picture to get a good idea of just what Paul looks like. There you go. <laughs> Um, anyway, Paul, so here he is under house arrest and life, life is restricted for Paul. Life is reduced for Paul at this point. I wonder if you've ever been in a point in your life where instead of on the adventure, you feel like, oh, wow, I'm in a really restricted, reduced place. That's, that's where Paul was. He was in prison when he writes this book of joy. Okay, so understand that. And he's writing to Philippians and they are in a difficult culture. It's not easy. The circumstances do not lend themselves towards joy, either in Paul's life or in the context of the reader, um, the people of Philippians. So Paul's, in, Paul's imprisoned. And what we discover is that the church of Philippi are familiar with Paul's plight and they love Paul. He's their spiritual dad. And, and they, they hate that this is going on for him, and they respond accordingly. He's, the, he's their missionary father, right? And so they respond accordingly, and it's like somebody stands up in their gathering and says, Paul needs some help. Now, that sounds a little bit familiar. Dallas needs some help funny, eh? Some things don't change because we're the church. This is how we do it. This is what happens in the church. So someone, someone said that. And, and so the, the people began to give money. The people in Philippi, they prayed and they decided how much to give. And they collected up a collection of money that would go to Paul to help him. And then one of their own either volunteered or got volunteered. You know how it goes in church. But one of their own with a really funky name, Epaphroditus. Everybody say Epaphroditus. Yeah, just because it's fun. Um, his name's Epaphroditus, one of their own. He is the one who's going to take this offering, this gift of love to Paul. Okay? And so off he trots. 
And he goes off and he goes to Greece and he, and he and, uh, sorry, he goes to Rome and he goes to Paul and he finds him in his quarters and he brings to Paul this gift of love and he serves Paul's needs for a while. And Paul is so encouraged by this gift, just as Dallas will be so encouraged by the gift that we bring her that we give her. And he's encouraged by Epaphroditus' presence there. He feels the love. You know when you just, you feel the love? Paul feels the love from these Philippian believers who he loves, and he loves them too. And so in the context of that, Paul writes them a letter. And it's a letter about how to follow Jesus in circumstances that are not favourable right? And then he gives the letter to Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus trots back to Greece, and he brings it to the church. And can you imagine him gathering the church in? Come on in, come on in, church. I've got a letter from from Paul, and everyone's like, Epaphroditus is back. He's got a letter from Paul. Come on, everybody. And so they gather And they come in close and they're all like, oh, what's our spiritual dad going to say to us? Did he like the gift? Was he pleased? What's his message for us? And they're all listening and Epaphroditus or whoever is the reader in the room reads the letter from Paul to them. And I can imagine that they then take this letter and and they reread it and they take it into small groups and homes just like we do in life groups and they study it together and they reread it together and they get into it and they go deeper and see the church hasn't changed, has it? That's exactly what we do with these words. And that's the letter that we have the privilege of going into as a church over these nine weeks. And it's over nine weeks because the letter is actually divided up. or It's kind of like it's, it's nine short essays, in effect, put together into one book. And here's how it's put together. Those nine essays, each one of them talk about joy or rejoicing. It's such a theme through this letter, each one of them. You're going to learn a lot over these nine weeks about joy, about rejoicing, about how, okay, about what that looks like and how that happens, even in unfavorable circumstances. Anyway, each one of these nine essays all kind of point like this towards one central point. And this central point is what some some scholars call the Jesus poem. Can you think of what that might be? If you know the book of Philippians, it might be coming to mind. Otherwise, you'll need to have a hunt, but it's in chapter two. The beautiful, incredible, mind-blowing Jesus poem. And the reason why all of these nine little essays point into this central point, and it's all about Jesus, the reason is this. It's all about Jesus. That's the reason why. You don't have to be too smart, really, to work that out. But the wonderful thing is, is that Jesus Christ is the most joy-filled man who ever lived. God is the most joyous being that there is. Jesus Christ, Psalm 45, I think it is, Psalm 45 verse 7 tells us that God anointed Jesus with the oil of joy more than anyone else, more than any of his companions, anyone who might be compared to him. Pause. 
I was born smiling. I just have a sunny disposition. Mum and Dad, you know, if, if ever I went away and I came back again, like if I went to camp or something, I'd come back, they'd be like, yay, we missed the laughter. That was just me. It was easy. For Jesus Christ, his joy was more than a sunny, smiley disposition. It was more than natural. It was supernatural. Jesus Christ was anointed with the oil of joy. The oil of joy is a term used for the Holy Spirit. So get this. God, if you like, took the oil of joy, the Holy Spirit, and poured him out on Jesus for the anointing, for the setting apart, for the special purpose for which Jesus was set apart. And that oil, when someone was anointed, that oil would flow onto the head and it would get into the hair and into the head and it would go down onto the face. And some of us need to remind our faces about the anointing, about the oil of joy. Some of us look a little bit like it was vinegar anointing. But actually, we need to remind our faces of the anointing, right? And so Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy, and it starts up here. And we're going to learn a lot about how we use our minds. There's so much in Philippians about that. It's very important when it comes to joy and rejoicing. And then it flowed, and it flowed all over him, and he was oily with the oil of joy. And do you know what? Galatians 5:22 tells us that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy. Joy. And in Acts 13 verse 52, the original disciples of Jesus, it says of them that they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Those two things, they go together. The Holy Spirit is the oil of joy. Some of you were born happy. That's nice. Some of you were not. You also can know joy. <laughs> because it's a spiritual thing. It's an anointing by the Holy Spirit. John 15 verse 11, Jesus says this, I told you this so that my joy, this is Jesus' joy, may be in you. That's what Jesus' desire that's, his, that's what he did. He put his joy in us so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Wow. That's a non-lacking kind of word, isn't it? Every Jesus follower is anointed by God with the oil of joy, the Holy Spirit. God is the most joyous being. Jesus Christ is the most joyous person that ever walked the earth, and his joy is in me. His joy is in you. This is phenomenal. And I'm so glad. And I wonder, though, what's your experience of joy? How's that going right now? Are the circumstances favorable or are they not? Over these next weeks, we're going to learn how we get to do this deeper joy that's being talked about. But the first thing to know is that you already, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have an anointing. It's a spiritual thing. Don't skip that and go to tools. Start there. Know that this is first off spiritual. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, 
You don't have the Holy Spirit anointing your life. But even so, there's this amazing truth that I've come across in Acts chapter 14, verse 17. And this thrills my heart. God says this. The Bible says this about God. But he, God, God, never left them, that means humankind, without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and he gives you food and joyful hearts. Or another way of saying that is, and joy in your hearts. Okay, tune into this. Even if you don't know Jesus, for all people everywhere, God has chosen to make himself known. And one of the key ways that he has chosen to make himself known is that human beings can experience this thing called joy. That, he says, is evidence that he exists. God, the most joyous being. And so human beings right through time, right across the earth, experience joy in our hearts, even if it's just the joy of, of seeing a beautiful sunrise, whatever it is, we have been made with huge capacity for joy. So all of that is a little bit of a sneaky peek into this uh, subject, this topic of joy. And now let's get into these first 11 verses, all right? So if you've got your Bible, let's read um, the first 11 verses. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's Paul's intro to the letter, and now he begins. I thank my God every time I remember you. Isn't that awesome? Wow, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, in other words, the day they first believed, until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, the the good work of salvation, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the day when Jesus comes back. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains, as he currently was, or defending and confirming the gospel, and it's interesting for Paul, there are only two lifestyles, life choices. I'm in chains or I'm out there preaching. That's how it goes. Um, uh, Whether that or that, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Oh, doesn't he just sound lovely? What a wonderful spiritual father they had, eh? And this is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul loved these people. He has them in his heart. And every time they came to mind, every time he remembered them, he gave thanks to God for them. Is that how it is with us? 
Every time one of you comes to mind, every time one of each other comes to mind, our instinct is to be, thank you, God, for that person. Thank you, God. We've got to train ourselves to do that, don't we? Sometimes someone comes to mind and we don't think, thank you, God. (laughs) But this is what we are to do. This is a lesson from Paul. We are to say, thank you, God. And, And he was devoted in praying for them. Have you got a list of the people in your life group? Have you got a list of anybody <laughs> that you pray for regularly? How wonderful to have some people that you're praying for. And he was devoted to praying for them. And when he prayed for them, he prayed with joy. And again, what's the tone of our praying for the people that we pray for? Is our tone a tone of joy? Because it can be, it must be, it's good that it is. And Paul says, I pray for joy, with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. These people, they had heard the gospel message and they had believed Jesus. And, and now that they, they had believed, they'd become partners in the gospel. They were partners with Paul, partners with each other. They were partners in the gospel. They were now sharing the gospel with other people. And that must have brought Paul so much joy. He couldn't stay there the whole time. He had to leave them. But he knew that they were going on, sharing the gospel. The gospel was growing and spreading. When we partner with someone, together with someone, there's a certain, there's a certain joy that we experience. And I think that, that the, the, the deeper, the, the more significant the project, then the deeper the partnership and the greater the joy. And the greatest partnership of all that I can think of is the partnership in the gospel. Being able to say and, and, and share together and, and, and for me to know and you to know that, that together we are each, we are both, we are all out there sharing the love of Jesus in our world. What could be more joyful than knowing that, that we have partners, we have co-workers in this, we're in it together, we can come back and we can share together. When I pray for you, I can be praying that the partnership of the gospel would be being expressed through you. The joy of partnership is what Paul is feeling. And you know what? I reckon that, that as he's writing this, I reckon he's thinking about certain people. I think that, that he's most likely thinking of Lydia, Lydia, who was the first person that he met in Philippi down by the river. And she was the first convert. She was the first one to trust in Jesus as a result of Paul bringing the message to Philippi. And I reckon he's thinking about Lydia, this businesswoman, and and he's thinking, partner. And he's filled with joy as he's writing and he's praying for her. And I reckon he's probably thinking about, about that little slave girl who was a psychic. She was a fortune teller. She was controlled by a demon and Paul set her free. And I reckon he's thinking about her and her testimony, her story. And I reckon he's thinking, partner, partner in the gospel. And I think he's rejoicing. And I reckon he's thinking about the the, the jailer and the time when Paul was all beaten and bloody and chained up. And it's the middle of the night and the jailer is in charge. and, And suddenly, you know, Paul, he's singing because you sing when you're bloody and beaten up and in jail and chained up and 
and life is restricted and he's singing hymns. And oh boy, isn't that amazing? And then there's this earthquake, God sends this massive earthquake. And, and through the earthquake, all the doors of the cells, they all fling open. This is a jailer's worst nightmare. Second worst nightmare is all the chains break off, all the prisoners. So the jailer, he's about to, he, he's so scared of the pain to come, because he's going to be in the, under the pump for this. He's so scared of the pain to come that he's about to take his life. And Paul says, don't do that. Let me tell you the gospel. We're all here, don't worry, we've not run away. And, and I reckon he's thinking about the jailer who then, who then Paul shared the gospel with. And the jailer and all his household, they all listened to the gospel. And every one of them gave their lives to Jesus and got baptized. And, and it tells us in Acts 16 that they were filled with joy because they'd believed the word of God. And I think Paul's thinking, partner. And I think he's filled with joy. Who do you think of when you think partner? The joy of partnership. And then the joy of certainty. And Paul writes this, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Paul is certain of here is that when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, a supernatural renovation work of the soul begins. And it begins under the hand of Almighty God. And it's all about bringing fullness, fullness of life in every part of a life. And it carries on until the day when you meet Jesus. And that Paul is absolutely certain that God always finishes what he starts. Always. God never abandons a renovation work partway through. Some of you are probably living in houses that you wish that were true of. There's a renovation work going on and oh boy, you'd be glad to see someone doing something. God doesn't sleep on the job. God doesn't take long tea breaks. God doesn't get paint on the carpet. God doesn't get called to another job and come, promise to come back when it's not raining. God is at work. Sometimes it can be a bit disheartening, can't it, when we look at our own renovation, our own renovation story, the renovation of me. Sometimes it can be a little bit disheartening and we need this certainty, the joy of this certainty that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion right up until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, when you get a little discouraged, when you get a little down about how you're progressing, here's what you need to do. You just need to stop for a minute. And you need to declare these Paul words over your life. You need to say something like this. I am convinced, and say it out loud, I am fully convinced, I am confident of this, 
Jesus who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion until the day I meet him. Now I'll tell you what, here's the thing guys, when you speak this out loud, when you declare this kind of stuff over your life, your mouth is working and your brain has to work to make your mouth work. And when you speak it out loud, your ears are hearing and your brain has to work in order to translate what your ears are hearing. And you have to take that in. So declare it out loud over your life. Lift up your eyes and refuse then to act as if you are defeated. Declare the truth. Declare the final end of the renovation project over your life, just like Paul did. Maybe you also, some of you need to be declaring that over other people's lives that you're praying about. Declare it, declare it, declare it. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ, you can do something similar. You can lift up your eyes, therefore refusing to do depressed, depressed and defeated, and you can ask Jesus Christ to begin his good work in you, knowing that he's the kind of person who always finishes what he starts. You can be confident of that. The joy of partnership, the joy of certainty, and the joy of increasing love. Verse 9 says this, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. Abound means to brim up and overflow. And when you're walking your life in close relationship with Jesus, and God is working away on the inside of you, doing a renovation of your soul, one of the most obvious signs that you'll experience is an increase and an overflow of love. Because God, who is the very fullness of love, he's filling you with his love. And it comes up and it comes to the brim and it overflows. And more and more and more and more and more, the longer you live, the older you are as a follower of Jesus, the more the love the more the love. And then he goes on and he talks about the joy of wisdom. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is, the, what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This abounding more and more kind of love is abounding in knowledge. It's abounding in depth of insight. This is a wise, insightful, discerning, wisdom, truth-filled kind of love. The Message Bible puts it in an interesting way. It says, so this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well, learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not just sentimental gush. You see? It's never, the Bible is never about sentimental gush kind of love. You know, I, one of the things I observe is that there are, there are all these people over here who, who are very loving, very accepting, 
accepting, very welcoming, but totally lacking in logic and intelligence and wisdom and their loving. And then there's all these people over here who are full of logic and intelligence, um, but could definitely would never be accused of loving anyone. And there's these sort of two camps. But the Bible brings together truth and love. They're not enemies of each other. They're two parts. And in God, they come together in harmony. And Paul says, let's pray to the God who is perfect love and perfect intelligence. And let's ask him to help us to love wisely. Yeah. And then he says that the effect of this wise love is that you're, in your life you are able to pinpoint what is best. You're able to pinpoint the great rather than settle for the good. You're able to live a pure, godly, blameless life. In other words, with, with a, a cacophony of voices and an oversupply of choices which we're faced with every single day, wise love is what directs us toward the best options. The pure, the good, the godly options. And as we walk in these best ways, our lives are like fruit orchards that are just overflowing with this beautiful fruit called righteousness that other people get to benefit from. It's a remarkable prayer that Paul prays. And who of us would not want this prayer prayed over our lives? You know? Who of us would not want this prayer answered in our lives? And who of us would not want this prayer answered in our family's life, in our friend's life? Who of us would not want this prayer answered in those in our life group and, and beyond? So let's start praying this prayer over each other's lives. Finally, Paul ends with just a few little words that you might just think, oh, it's just kind of the way you might end a prayer. But they're really, really significant words. He says, to the glory and praise of God. He says that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is really, really significant. What Paul is saying is that this purity, this goodness, this, this being able to choose best, this, this, um, this great love, this wise love, this joy, all of this is only through Jesus Christ. And therefore, it's God who gets the glory. So it's like he comes all the way back, he circles all the way back to partnership in the gospel. You see, Jesus, Jesus is the one who's perfect in joy. Jesus is the one who's perfect in love. Jesus is the one who's perfect in goodness and perfect choices and, and intelligence. And Jesus says to us, do you know, I'm offering you all of this as a trade. If you will let go of mediocre, if you will let go of self-effort, it's all yours. If you will be saved, in other words, it's all yours. Will you come and will you partner in the gospel? So I wonder what's going on for you 
right now. I wonder if the circumstances are favourable for joy or not. Remember, first off, you have an anointing. It is a spiritual thing. And some of you need to actually come back under that anointing. Actually come back and stand under that anointing and ask for a fresh flow. Don't miss that. Don't go straight to tools that we're going to learn later on. Would you come and would you actually say, God, I understand that positionally it's mine, but oh God, do I need that fresh anointing of the oil of joy. If that's you, do you want to just stand up? Just say, oh God, I need that fresh anointing of the oil of joy right now in my life. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Just allow the Holy Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, pour out, we pray. Heavenly Father, pour out this anointing on everyone who's saying right now, I need it. I need you, Lord. I need you, God. Father, would you break through patterns of thinking and living that are contrary to the anointing? Father, would you break through? Father, would we stand under this anointing? Lord, help us to learn how to inform our faces <laughs> about the anointing in our lives and our words. But Lord, we just receive right now. Father God, we thank you that you are at work in us. You are doing a renovation project in us. You are making beautiful all that's been broken up. And Father, we just say with confidence, you will complete what you have started. And so, Father, would your love, the love of God, would it abound more and more in every single one of us? Oh, and just invite anybody else who's not standing, if you want to stand up. Would, would the love of God just abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight? And that we would be able to discern what's best and that we would be pure and blameless until the very end, Lord, filled with the fruit of righteousness, Lord. We want to be fruity people for Jesus. We want to have lives that are overflowing with abundant fruit to feed other people, to bring glory, all glory to God. All glory to God. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.